Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. What I'd like you to do as we start this morning is bring to mind a person. And when I say bring to mind a person, I mean actually bring to mind a person. Don't just sit there passively. Think of somebody who, for you, has been an influence, a role model, someone who, uh, as part of your journey, maybe um, a Christian or uh, somebody who's helped you on the journey of faith, bring to mind someone who you'd say, they really uh, are a person to look up to, a person to emulate. Can, Can you picture someone in your mind? My person was a man called Mr. Elliot. Uh, Mr. Elliot, uh, when I was growing up, I wasn't a Christian. I was sort of on the the periphery of a local Methodist church. I'd turn up at some of their youth events. They put a a Friday night youth club on. I'd go to that. I'd go to one or two other things, but without having a faith of my own. And Mr. Elliot was part of the team there. He ran the groups. He, uh, He always took such an interest in me and in all the other kids. He would chat with us, he'd listen to us. I I now know that he also prayed for us loads. When he found out different interests that we had, he would give up some of his time to put on other groups on other nights to make sure we had a space and place to do it. And uh, just over the years, I've always looked back on the way Mr. Elliot conducted himself and thought, wow, he is an inspiring Christian man. And I wonder why Mr. Elliot, rather than all the other people I've met, came to mind for me. I wonder why the, uh, the different people that came to mind, not just the ones that are shared, but the ones that weren't shared, came to mind for you. And when I think about what, what made me choose Mr. Elliot, it wasn't really about what he believed. Now, he, he was a faithful Christian, he believed the Bible, he, he trusted in Jesus, believed Jesus died for us and rose again, the same as I believe and many of you believe as well. But that wasn't what made him the person I chose. It was what he did. It was how he lived. It was in the different circumstances of life. The fact that he believed that changed how he acted. It made a difference. And I think we see that shining through in the different people that have been highlighted. What they believed, it filtered down into the way they handled different situations of life. There was a church service on the 14th of July, 1099, at a little chapel in Jerusalem. A group of people gathered together to worship God. And one of the leaders of the group talked about how on that day they rejoiced and exulted and sang a new song to the Lord. That sounds good, doesn't it? And I bet if you'd have been outside the chapel that day and said to people, hey, tell me what you believe, they'd have told how they believed in God, the creator, and in in Jesus, his son, who came and took on flesh and died for the sins of the world, rose again, and uh, how he sent the Holy Spirit to us. They'd have explained what they believed. The next day, those people who'd been involved in that church service in Jerusalem went into a mosque called the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And while they were there, they whipped themselves up into a frenzy and they slaughtered men, women and children. This was a siege of Jerusalem in the First Crusade. They threw some of the victims over high walls, three stories to their deaths. They butchered people with swords and daggers and fire and arrow and spears. 
And it's reported that the blood that they shed that day filled the great promenade between the mosque and the dome. There are eyewitness accounts of what happened on that day. Much more recently, we hear stories, don't we, of different uh, Christian leaders, different famous, well-known people. I think of a, a famous apologist. Now, apologists are people who can explain the Christian faith to people often outside the church. And I think of someone who uh, was great at doing this, who understood really well what the Bible said and was able to explain, well, why does the Bible say those things? What is behind it? Why does it all make sense? And he was a, a, a person who millions of people have downloaded content of him doing that. But then, in recent years, it's come out that behind the scenes... His whole life was mired in scandal and there were patterns of him actively abusing many, many people. I'm going to give you a much less extreme example than those two. I think of a friend of mine who, uh, part of the story that he'd tell as he tells the story of his life, he'd tell of years and years and years where he would go to church every Sunday. He was part of a Church of England Church, and part of what they did is they recited the creed. So he'd be uh, saying out loud every Sunday, you know, I believe in God the Father. He'd uh, recite all these words about his belief, and he'd mean it. He wouldn't be thinking, well, I'm saying it, but I don't believe it. He'd be saying it and thinking, yeah, I, I do believe this. But he'd talk about how that didn't make any difference at all to how he was at work. So he'd go to work, and he'd act exactly the same as all his colleagues, the same ambition, the same... Um, kind of hostile workplace culture to different groups. He, he just participated in all of that. He said it, it didn't really make any difference to the way he approached his family. It didn't make any difference to the way he approached anything at all in his life. I find it interesting. I find it fascinating. It's a, a thing to ponder, isn't it? How there can be such a difference. How we can have the people that we started with, the different examples that people in this room have shared, of people who inspire us and who we look at and we're like, wow, there's something incredible about the way these people and their, their faith seem to transform their lives. And then you've got these other people who, it didn't really seem to make any difference at all. They'd say the words, they'd articulate what they believed, and yet the way they lived in the whole range from committing total atrocities to uh, did the same as everybody else in society, it seemed like these words they'd say they believed didn't make any difference. It's interesting. The questions I want us to ask this morning is, what's the difference between this group over here and this group over here, and which are we? They're the questions I want us to ponder. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, talking to some of the religious leaders of his day, he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they're full of the bones of the dead and of all kinds of filth. So you also on the outside look righteous to others, but inside you're full of hypocrisy, and lawlessness. What Jesus is telling us there is that it's possible for us to have a faith in God that looks really good on the outside, but inside is rotten. It's like what we believe somehow hasn't penetrated the surface. There's a hard shell around us, and we might be able to say the words, but it hasn't sunk in. That's possible. 
But it's also possible to have a different kind of faith. It's possible to have a faith that goes all the way down. You know, like when you're writing with a, a certain kind of felt-tip pen on a piece of paper, and, and then you turn over, you're like, ah, what I wrote there, it's like stamped onto every page in my pad. There's something about this pen that's gone through. Faith can go through the surface. Doesn't always. Sometimes it does. This is the question of the book of James. And this term, we're looking at the book of James. He wants to get into this question. What does faith look like that goes all the way down, that sinks down deep into our lives? And in today's passage, he's going to get right to the heart of what he's trying to say in his letter. So we're in James 2. If you have a Bible with you, please do turn there. And we're, we're reading the second part of the chapter. So James 2, from verse 14 through to the end of the chapter. So this is what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what's the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works, because I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith, apart from works, is barren? Or wasn't our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. What's going on here then? What's what's he saying? Because I bet you've heard it said in church, and I bet you've read it in other parts of the Bible, that you're saved by faith alone. That's something that we love to say, isn't it? We say it all the time. It's not what you do. You don't earn it. It's a gift from God that you receive as you put your faith in him. And it does say that in the Bible. So a great example is Ephesians chapter 2, which says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. And sometimes people read that in Ephesians and they read those verses we've just read in James and they go, huh, how does that work? Well, the two sit together really nicely. They're answering slightly different questions and they're saying things that complement one another to give us the full picture. In Ephesians, the question is, how do we go from not having a relationship with God to having a relationship with God? Is it that we've got to do a bunch of stuff, take all the brownie points and earn it? And he's saying, no, no, it's not like that at all. It's a gift. God gives it freely. All you have to do is trust him and you can have a relationship with him. That's totally true. 
Now, what James is saying is, all right, let's have a look at what that faith looks like. What does it mean to have faith? How does it look in your life if you have faith? Let me try and illustrate what I mean. Okay, I'm married. I'm married to Emma. And in my heart, I trust Emma. So how do I express that? What does it look like for me to say I trust my wife? Well, is it about what I say? Is it me saying out loud, I trust you? Well, that may well be part of it. It might well be verbally telling her of the trust I have, telling her that uh, I know you're trustworthy, I know your character. It may be that when it comes up with other people that I talk about how I trust her. But if it's only words, if it's just me saying that I trust her, and that's all there is to it, then you'd see through it pretty quickly, wouldn't you? If I was saying, oh yeah, I really trust my wife, and then you noticed me the moment she left the room, going and grabbing her phone and rifling through the messages and checking up on what she's been up to, you'd think, hang on, do you really trust her? Like, it doesn't make sense just to say it unless the fact of what you're saying actually changes how you act. If you trusted, you'd live in a way that showed that trust. Well, James is saying something similar. In verse 18, he says... Show me your faith apart from your works. Now, that, that's impossible. How could you show your faith other than by what you do, other than by living in a way that shows that you trust God's ways? He says, I, by my works, will show you my faith. By what I do, by how I live, I'll show you what it is to trust God. It's a simple point he's making, but this is the point we've got to get this morning. If our faith is real... It will show in what we do. If our faith is real, it will show in what we do. Now, do do I care if I say I want things to be better, but don't do anything? No. If I care what I'm going to do, I'm going to invite you home, I'm going to cook you a nice meal, maybe take you to the supermarket, pay for a shop. I'm going to do something about the situation. It's the same with faith in Jesus, right? If you, if you say, oh yeah, I believe the way of Jesus is best, but you don't do anything with it, it's just hollow words, right? You're like that whitewashed tomb. The outside might seem right, the inside doesn't work, yeah? By the way, let me just say, if you recognise yourself in this character, if you say, you know what, I, I am struggling at the moment, I'm struggling to get uh, shoes on my feet or my, my family's feet, I'm struggling to get food on the table. As a church, we want to live out this verse. And a whole bunch of people here at church have generously given into a hardship fund that we've set up. We'll be giving more into it later this year as well. Uh, and Nikki is on the team that manages that. So uh, we want to help if you know that that's your situation. Speak to Nikki and she'll, she'll help you with the process of accessing some of that. Now, Abraham here is often called the father of faith because he is. There's a moment that God made a promise to Abraham. Abraham was very old. His wife was very old. They didn't have kids. And yet God promised that you will have descendants like the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And that through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, many people on hearing this would scoff and laugh and say, that's ridiculous. You know we can't have kids at our age. That's not what Abraham did. Abraham believed God, took God at his word, and it says that was counted as righteousness. That's a bit like that Ephesians verse I read earlier. Believe in God and being counted righteous. But that's not the end of your story, Abraham, because that faith, it wasn't just saying, oh yeah, I believe God. 
But when the rubber hit the road, that belief changed what you did. Because there came a moment years later now, uh, your son's been born, you've got Isaac there with you, but God's asked you to, to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, you know God's promised that through Isaac, the whole world will be blessed. There'll be a whole line coming from him. And because you take God at his word, you say, all right, I'm going to go along with this, God, because I know that you're going to fulfill this promise somehow. It says in Hebrews, you even consider the fact that, well, God can bring people back from the dead. So you weren't trying to do things your way. You were willing to trust God with what he asked because you believed God on what he promised. Your faith made a difference to how you lived. Obviously a bit tongue-in-cheek, but you're, you're playing one of the demons here. What do you believe? Well, what do you believe about God? You know that God exists. You know that God's the creator. He's supreme. He's all-powerful. You know he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know he sent his son Jesus who took on our flesh. You know he lived a perfect life and never did anything wrong. You know that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. You know he rose again. You know all of this stuff. No, you don't like it. You're not a fan of this. You don't love this truth. But you know it. You actually believe much the same stuff as many of us believe, if it's just listing what things we acknowledge to be true. Have you ever thought about that? Did you know that the devil probably has better doctrine than all of us in terms of understanding what's true? Now, I'm a doctrine guy. I, I love understanding and learning truth about God. I, uh, I head up our School of Theology, which starts next week, by the way. Get yourself signed up for that. But the, the idea of learning truth and uh, growing in knowledge, it's not just about stuffing our head full of information. I mean, the demons know all the information. It's, it's like kneading that truth into our life, like you knead yeast into a dough. It's letting it percolate through everything in our life. So it transforms the way we relate to the people around us, and it changes the way we suffer, and it changes the way we approach big decisions, and we pray, and all the things we want to do, it has to make a difference. Otherwise, it's no better than the faith of the demons, so Rahab lived in Jericho. That was one of the cities in the promised land that God had promised to his people before they'd got into it. So she was Canaanite. She lived uh, there. She was a sex worker. She lived on the very wall of the outside of the city. And for her, what faith looked like is she'd heard the stories about what God had done, how God had brought his people out of slavery. And even from afar, she heard okay, God has promised this land. God is doing something with his people. And she believed it. And then she asked the spies who came into the town for a promise. Hey, remember me when, when you come, when you take the city. She had faith. And in fact, the sign of her faith was, look, look, when we come into the city, you put a scarlet ribbon down the side of your doorpost. And that will be the sign that when we take the city, we'll leave you alone. That's actually the same sign, isn't it? The scarlet ribbon is like the scarlet blood that was on the doorposts uh, of all the people when it was the Passover. It's evoking that same thing. I'm going to be spared because of the faith that I'm showing. Yet the faith that she had, it led to works. It led her to do something. As these people came into the city, she sheltered them in her house. That was a risky thing to do. And her rationale for it, the reason she gives is I know the Lord has given you the land. Now, I think it's great that James chooses Rahab as an example after just choosing Abraham as an example because he's picked someone 
who is as unlike Abraham as you can be. He was the father of the Jewish nation. She was Gentile. He was male. She was female. He was a powerful patriarch. She was powerless and at the bottom of society. But by choosing both examples, he's saying, what I'm telling you about faith lived out applies to everyone. Whatever background you're from, whatever part of society you're from, this is for you. You can put your trust in God and it will change the way you live. What these four examples that James gives us show is that faith is much more than just intellectual, in your head, agreement with an idea. Anyone can agree with an idea, sign up to a list of propositions on a form, and remain unchanged. That's what it is to be a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, you say, yeah, I agree with that, but it hasn't got to your heart. Real faith sinks in. It transforms us from the core. It goes all the way down. One of the biggest moments for me in my Christian life was about nine months after I first said I want to be a Christian. I was on my way to a summer camp, a friend had invited me, and they were doing some baptisms at this camp. And my friend was getting baptised, he said, Tom, why don't you get baptised as well? And I agreed, I said, yeah, okay, I'll get baptised at this camp. And I was on the bus on the way to it, it was a coach journey, and I remember I was reading my Bible, and it just leapt off the page was the page number. It was like 70-something. And I'd started reading the Bible nine months earlier, and I'd got through about 70 pages. Now, I'm a reader. I love reading. I got through a whole load of books, as big as the Bible, in that nine months. And yet, somehow with the Bible, I'd not read loads of it. I just felt a bit convicted by that. I just felt God give me a bit of a nudge. And then my thoughts started to wander into other areas of my life. I was like, you know what, I've not really built much of a prayer life in that nine months. and The way I'm living with those around me hasn't changed much. The, my lust life, my uh, going out getting drunk, like that part of me, the way I, um, I my, my tempo, like all these different aspects. Not a lot has changed in these nine months since I said I'm becoming a Christian. And I just felt that God challenged me and asked me, like, Tom, you're going to get baptised. Do you want to do this for real or not? That was the, the question I felt God asking me. And, and my heart was like, yes, yes, I do. Uh, it was a real significant breakthrough moment for me in terms of the faith started to filter down into how I lived. I've seen way too much of the shallow, fake version of Christianity. I think most people are pretty sick of that. It troubles me. It's, it, it seems like a thing that people do that almost like inoculates us against the real thing. But constantly, gently, beautifully, Jesus is calling us back to the real deal, to live out the faith truly. You see, the kingdom that Jesus built, the kingdom that Jesus taught, is good and beautiful, and real, and safe, and kind, and generous. It's a kingdom that transforms the world, not through power plays, not through imposition on other people, not through the sword, but through love. It brings healing, it brings wholeness to the hearts of men and women. Jesus says the way is narrow. This call he gives us is a hard call, but it's a call to real, true faith that goes all the way down. And why would we settle for anything less than that? That's what James is asking, that's what Jesus asks. And I wonder this morning, maybe if God's just prompting some of us with that same question, he prompted me all those years ago. Do you want to do this for real? Do you want a faith that goes all the way down?
And perhaps you hear this and you bring to mind all the times you've stumbled, all the times you've failed, all the times that you've lived in a way that doesn't reflect the faith. And you know what? There's grace. There is always grace for you. Jesus, one of the stories he told was about two sons who the father said, will you come out into the field and work? And one of them was like, yes, I'm going to do it. And then he just stayed at home. And the other one was like, you know, I'm not sure. I'm going to leave it. But later in the day, he came out anyway to, to the father and joined in the work. And the father was delighted with him. Maybe you think about all the times that the way you've lived hasn't reflected the true faith. Maybe it was more like the group over here than the group over here. There is grace for you. And if today God is prompting you to say, hey, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to let this faith come all the way down. It's not too late. This might be the moment for you.